0: This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth generation farmer and co founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com.
1: From New Orleans to New York, great American jazz cities are often known as much for their great beats as their late night jazz clubs. Over the past few weeks, heritage radio network has reached out to the many culinarily inclined jazz establishments and jazz lovers to hear about their relationship with music and food i'm katie mosman wadler and this is meat and three
2: meat and three meat and three meat and three one meat three sides food
3: news and storytelling
2: a square meal for
4: your ears
1: meat and three First up, we listen to some classic tunes with Jessica Kreinchich, who engineered and sound designed this episode, as she explores the culinary motifs that run through the jazz oeuvre.
5: This is Salt Peanuts one of the most iconic jazz pieces of all time. Dizzy Gillespie's bebop masterpiece has kept toes-tapping since its composition in 1942. Its only lyrics, the nonsensical phrase, Salt Peanuts, reflect not only Gillespie's playful sense of humor, but an interesting trend in jazz in general. The use of food as subject matter and metaphor. From Louis Armstrong's Struttin' With Some Barbecue to Sarah Vaughan's heart-wrenching rendition of Black Coffee.
6: coffee.
5: Food has been used for innuendo and emotional exposition since the genre's beginnings. And Jazz's sister, Blues, also has its fair share of food-related tunes, like Gimme a Pigfoot and a Bottle of Beer, and I Want a Little Sugar in My Bowl, both made famous by Bessie Smith. This prevalence of food themes is partly due to a large number of saucy slang terms in use from the 20s and on. For example, that barbecue Louis Armstrong refers to in Struttin' with some Barbecue is an attractive woman, not some baby back ribs. And Fats Waller's All That Meat and No Potatoes isn't talking about a meal. I
7: am ready with all that meat and no potatoes. I don't think that peas are bad Even the sweet-sounding oh, tea
5: for Two has its cheeky side.
6: Me upon your knee with tea for two.
5: And this playful use of food imagery was incorporated into the variety shows that dominated pop culture in the 40s. Cab Calloway, famous bandleader known for his energetic song and dance performances, had songs like Hot Toddy, Everybody eats when they come to my house, and chicken ain't nothing but a bird. Slim and Slam, piano and bass playing duo of the 30s and 40s, were the kings of the novelty jazz song, with tunes like Potato Chips, Dunkin' Bagel, and Tutti Fruity, which Little Richard loosely based his own Tutti Fruity on. The Andrews sisters, vocal trio known for performing for the troops during World War II, have their iconic rum and Coca-Cola. While you could think all this music is just for laughs, it actually exhibits the innovative and groundbreaking nature of jazz. For what is jazz without improvisation, and what is improvisation but play? This is music with a wink, music that teases and entertains, but taps into a primal trait that everyone can relate to, the love of eating. From the serious to the silly, food has been a powerful and playful vehicle for jazz musicians since the genre's inception. And I, for one, am grateful for the big
1: appetites they've had. Cooking is a lot like jazz. It's great to follow a recipe, but a little improvisation can really perfect that sweet symphony of flavors. Rowan O'Connell Gates interviewed Chef Matthew Rudolfger to hear how the New York jazz scene influenced his cooking career. A lot
7: of times when I go to jazz shows, a lot of times I have my eyes closed. I'm not even actually watching the performance. Sometimes I want to cut off one of my senses so that I can
2: actually listen more deeply and not be distracted by what might be around me. This is Matthew Rudolfger vice president of operations at the Philadelphia-based restaurant group Scholzen Collective, and formerly the executive chef at Momofuku Sambar. In addition to his culinary career, Rudolf is a self-proclaimed jazz enthusiast. It
7: probably started because my dad was into jazz music. He knew how to play the piano, uh, and it was something that would be in the household. It was mostly just me being a fan of jazz, listening to music, researching it, learning about the culture and the history behind it. And then probably as I became you know, more seasoned as a chef and a cook and being in the industry, it more became part of my lifestyle.
2: Chef Rudolfger began his cooking career 16 years ago at Philadelphia's famed Vetri. At the age of 18, he moved to New York City to pursue professional opportunities at the likes of Danielle... Blue Hill, and Momofuku. Upon arriving in New York, Rudolfger found himself in one of America's most dynamic cities for both food and jazz. Clubs across New York City stay open into the wee hours of the night, making them an ideal destination for individuals in the restaurant industry. When time allowed in his busy cooking schedule, these late-night destinations gave Rudolfger the opportunity to deepen his relationship with jazz music.
7: You know, on your days off, if you had time and you had some money going to, you know, Village Vanguard or Birdland or something like that, smaller, more intimate settings kind of lead back to how jazz used to be, where you walk downstairs in a basement underneath somewhere in New York. You get a bourbon, you know, maybe it's a two-hour set, maybe you're listening to someone until 4 a.m., maybe it's one person playing with five different people, and there's improv at the end. That doesn't necessarily happen in some of the smaller cities.
2: Rudolf credits jazz with creating a relaxed and focused mental state. And although most professional kitchens have a zero-tolerance music policy, he's found ways in the past to join the feelings jazz evokes with his demanding culinary environment.
7: Jazz for me is really more of a place where I can focus on myself and sort of block out the outside world, which is I think a little bit different than a lot of popular music, where. It's really about bringing groups of people together. For me, jazz is more where you can listen to something and have your mind and your emotions be taken to another place. You know, I can remember I worked in one restaurant years ago, uh, Oceana in Midtown, and on Saturdays, we didn't do lunch, so I would bring in my speakers and play, you know, either like um, Wayne Shorter or Michael Brecker. Uh, nobody else was there, so I could just kind of play it during my morning prep.
2: In the same way that there's been groundbreaking chefs in the restaurant world, jazz music has had a series of artists that mark the evolution of the genre. From Louis Armstrong to Ornette Coleman, jazz has developed and drawn upon its predecessors in a manner similar to that of Jacques Pepin and Dan Barber. I
7: look at the parallel for me being cooking, and that's what I ended up getting into. So in the same way that a musician works on their craft, practices, studies. You know, that was the same thing for me, but with food and, you know, you can, you know, when you're a cook, you you know, instead of having a trumpet, you have, you know, your nice
2: kit. The late night restaurant hours and the need for culinary improvisation in professional cooking mirror the late nights and musical improv of jazz music. From his early experiences in Philadelphia to his culinary career in New York City, Chef Rudolfger demonstrates the dynamic relationship between the worlds of jazz and food. To learn more about Rudolfger's current culinary venture, explore the Philadelphia restaurants under the Scholzen Collective umbrella online.
1: We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a quick word from our sponsor.
0: My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth generation hog farmer and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert Dr. Temple Grandin and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever and are only fed a high quality 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com.
1: Welcome back to Meet and Three. Next up, Kevin Chang Barnum takes us on a little trip to the birthplace of jazz via Brooklyn. Chef John Verlander explains how he brings a taste of New Orleans to New York City in his restaurant, Lower Line.
3: New Orleans is known for bringing jazz into the popular imagination, but music isn't the only creation that the city is famous for. New Orleans's unique blend of cultures gave birth not only to jazz, but also to a cuisine unlike any other. It's hard for me to think of other
8: American cities that has such a repertoire of dishes that are served in restaurants,
3: but also cooked at home. That's John Verlander, chef and owner of Lower Line Restaurant in Brooklyn. He grew up in Louisiana. If you take the state of Louisiana, you can kind of divide it into three parts almost. I mean, you've
8: got New Orleans, you've got Cajun country, uh, which is south-central and southwest Louisiana, and then north Louisiana
3: is more representative of, you know, the rest of the south. Though John didn't live in New Orleans as a child, he had family there and visited often. My
8: dad was born and raised there, and... Our family on his side goes back to, um, you know, the early 19th century. He remembers eating his family's homemade Creole cooking. My grandmother, on my father's side in particular, is an outstanding Creole cook. Uh, Grew up eating her cooking. She makes an excellent Creole dish that's pretty much disappeared from restaurant menus called, called dobe. Um, it's a, traditionally a French Provencal dish that's you know, is beef stewed and red wine that kind of took on some more Sicilian influences in, in New Orleans and is traditionally served over spaghetti. You can think of it as kind of a red
3: wine, tomato wheat pot roast over, over spaghetti. John says his nostalgia for New Orleans food is a common experience. One of the challenges of owning a restaurant that specializes in the city's cuisine is that people come in with a lot of expectations.
8: And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like, you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Or um, you're never going to be able to, you know, replicate that dining
3: experience they had Friday for lunch at, you know, a Galatoire's. So what is it about New Orleans cuisine that makes such a strong impression on the people who have lived there? One important part of that puzzle is the many distinct influences the city's food draws from. New Orleans
8: was a French colony, then a Spanish colony, then it became a French colony again before it was purchased by the United States with the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. You you have the you know, African slave trade significantly influencing New Orleans cuisine as well. Um, So early Creole cuisine is an amalgam of, you know, European colonial cooking, primarily French, and you get the okra and the gumbo from, you know, from Africa. You know, there's also a significant, you know, Native American influence in there through, you know, filet, which is ground sassafras, in the gumbo. You've got a lot of later immigrant groups uh contributing to creole cuisine i would say principally you know, sicilian immigration to new orleans in the late 19th and early 20th century a lot of german influence um, which is where you get a lot of the smoked meats and cajun and creole cooking uh, you know anglo-american influences are undoubtedly in there as well and so by you know mid-20th century you've we've got these kind of melding together into these canonical dishes that we we think of
3: as new orleans cuisine the gumbos the etouffets you know red beans and rice through these cultural influences a certain set of ingredients have become typical of new orleans cuisine you're always going to have what people in louisiana refer to as the
8: trinity which is onions bell peppers and celery those are the traditional seasoning vegetables of um, Cajun and Creole cooking, usually along with, with garlic. And, you know, spices vary from dish to dish. Um, you know, cayenne pepper and black pepper are almost always in, you know, Cajun and Creole dishes. Bay leaf and thyme are super prominent. Music is also important to the food scene. In New Orleans, they're just, I mean, together at every occasion. I mean, if it's from, you know, going to some hole-in-the-wall music club, they're probably going to have some good food, even if it's coming from behind the bar, or, you know, somebody's bringing it in potluck style and throwing it on the on the pool table. You know, the fine restaurants are going to have... um you know, on Sundays, always, you know, live jazz, uh, you know, playing for brunch, um,
3: you know, at weddings and funerals. All these factors blend to create a city where the food is steeped in tradition, but cooks still find ways to innovate. Even as change propels New Orleans's restaurants forward, John hopes that people remember the history that made the culinary scene what it is today. You know, I guess I just... You know, hope that as the restaurant scene
8: gets, you know, continues to, you know, take on more influences there that at the same time people don't forget
3: kind of the roots. If you want to try John Verlander's New Orleans inspired cooking, you can visit Lower Line in the Prospect Heights neighborhood of Brooklyn.
1: Ruby Walsh wraps up our episode with a tour of Park Slope's new jazz club, Made in New York. Founders Michael Brookvine and Boris Bangiev explain how they're working to revitalize Brooklyn's jazz culture with food and drink designed to complement the music being performed.
6: At 7 p.m. on a Friday, the lamps dim in the Made in New York Jazz Cafe. People cluster around tables as the musicians, now cast in deep blue light,
7: begin
9: to play. Now, what's unique about our performances that we never hire an existing band. We hire separate artists from different bands, and we create a unique band.
6: That's Michael Brovkine, owner of the new jazz cafe in Park Slope. By opening this bar, he and his partner, Boris Bangiev, are seeking to revitalize the jazz scene in Brooklyn.
9: Long ago, it was my personal dream uh, to come to this city because of the music. If you talk to any jazz musicians because of uh, all the great clubs in New York and, and great performances, they will all say that New York, for a jazz musician, the place to be because you, you can really grow here, watching others playing and joining them. I spent more than 10 years in Brooklyn. There are a lot of great places that have uh, jazz performances, but not even one club.
6: The Made in New York Jazz Cafe opened just a few weeks ago, in late October, but it's already generated some buzz. On opening night, they sold out a show hosted by famed trumpeter Philip Harper. But for the Made in New York team, creating a jazz cafe wasn't just about booking the greats. First, they had to create an inviting atmosphere.
9: Every night is different, uh, different energy, But, but the energy of the place, that's what was important for me and my partner first of all to serve great food which is very I think very important and unfortunately not a lot of music places pay attention to this.
6: They designed dishes to pair with the music being played
9: the idea
3: was to make it a simple nice and fresh authentic uh, comfort food basically that people are familiar with.
6: That's Boris Bankiev. Michael's partner and the chef at the Made in New York Jazz Cafe.
3: Comfort food, you gotta get your hands dirty, and the jazz musicians, it's like it all goes together very well, you know?
6: Their dishes are down home, but they still pack a punch.
3: Southern spicy chicken sandwich is to die for here, you know? You have the sweet and sour and spicy together on uh, the beautiful brioche bun I want to eat
9: myself now.
6: And they aren't just pairing the music with food
9: we actually actually um, match even the alcohol drinks to specific music. So we have created Montenegroni drink and it goes well with straight, straight ahead in, uh, uh, jazz.
6: So you can sit back with your scotch on the rocks and while drinking, sink into the smooth sounds of the saxophone. Here, Michael and Boris are helping to connect their audiences to both the jazz world of the past and to the cutting-edge styles of the present.
9: We are trying to bring a lot of jazz grades back to Brooklyn and I think people in Brooklyn really need it. This is what the modern generation is growing on and to see these guys performing this music live makes the whole difference and they influence the new generation. The only way to understand it is to come and experience the show live.
6: Like Michael said, if you want to experience jazz with all of your senses, you can head over to One Five Five Fifth Avenue to catch their evening shows. To find out more about the Made in New York Jazz Cafe, visit their website at
1: www.jazzcafe.nyc. That's our show. We hope we've inspired you to see what's cooking in your own community's jazz scene. Next week, stay tuned for Episode 2 of Hardcore, HRN's new podcast on the history of cider in America. Special thanks this week to Rowan O'Connell-Gates, Kevin Chang-Barnum, and Ruby Walsh. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with lead production, engineering, and sound design this week by Jessica Kreinchich. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Brickmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meetin' 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meetin' 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.
4: Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about HOST, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my All in the Industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront, in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Drew Niporent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobileni, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gournier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram and Twitter. We are offering a special early bird ticket price until November 30th, so don't miss out. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. Many thanks.